Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. My name is Will Patch. I'm Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. This is one of our special audio cast episodes. What that just means is we're taking one of our webinars that we do each month and we're converting it over to a podcast so that it makes it a little easier for you. So let's dive right in. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us today. My name is Kira Whalen. I'm the B2B Marketing Coordinator here at Niche and I'll be handling the Q&A throughout this presentation. Today, we're going to be discussing a survey that was put together by Tudor Collegiate Strategies and Niche, and we'll be talking about how you can use those results to communicate and recruit more effectively this year. Today's presenters are Jeremy Tears, the Director of Admission Services at Tudor Collegiate Strategies, and Will Patch, the Enrollment Marketing Leader at Niche, and they'll go ahead and take it from here. Thank you, Kira. Thank you to everybody. Um, glad you can make it today, and uh, feel free, drop in questions throughout. Uh, we want to make sure that you can get Source some feedback and, and love the give and take throughout here. Uh, so we'll just get started. Just want to talk a little bit about this survey. Uh, we did this sort of a, a paired uh, writing of results and the questions themselves. Uh, it's a great opportunity to take a look at this junior class that's behaving so differently because they've had such a strange college search compared to everybody else who's come before. Uh, so we wanted to look at what are they seeing differently? How are they behaving differently? In terms of the survey overall, uh, just give you a little bit of background here. We had just over 7,000 responses. Uh, of that, 92% had already started researching colleges, and 25% had already narrowed down their list of schools. So even here, spring of junior year, we're having students saying that they're, they're clean schools off their list. They're already starting to make decisions of where they're going to apply to. Uh, this was open from March 9th to April 4th, giving an idea of when we're collecting all this. In terms of the demographics, uh, we look here at the income quintiles. Uh, it was a very good breakdown uh, among the five income quintiles. At this point, a lot of students don't know their household income either. I think back to myself, I didn't know how much my parents earned until I filed a FAFSA. Uh, so I'm guessing that there's a number of students who are in that same boat that, you know, here I am, I'm a junior in high school, why would I know how much my parents earn? We look to here, it's mostly domestic students, um, primarily public high schools. Kind of mirrors there what we see in terms of actual enrollments. Uh, with international students, we see that flipped. Um, they're more likely to be a private, attending private high schools uh, with some more interest in publics and in the boardings as well. This was an optional question, so not everyone did have to respond. Last bit of demographics here before we leap in, uh, and I'll hand it over to Jeremy. We had uh, a, a good breakdown um, in terms of race or ethnicity. Uh, this was, again, an optional question, so not everyone did have to respond. Uh, we also had some students who, who may not know. Uh, not everyone's going to know uh, what their race, racial or ethnic background is, uh, so we do give that option as well. Okay, and I'll hand it over to Jeremy to get started here on our first insight. It's great to be with everybody today. Thanks, Will. The first big thing that Will and I learned when we populated the results of this survey really relates to something that was a big theme with the senior survey that we did last fall. And it's this notion of personalization. Only 16% of the juniors we surveyed this time around said that what they're receiving right now from colleges and universities feels very personal. And just like their senior counterparts, we saw a lot of words and open-ended responses in this survey like impersonal, generic, mass, message sounding, very transactional. 
And so a couple of things on that. Knowing that this is a big opportunity, I think the first thing we need to do is really define what personalization means to a high school student in 2021, because it's not just putting their name in the subject line of an email anymore. Technically, that's personalization, but when every school is doing that, that's not what a high school student is going to engage with. They're just tired of getting the same general emails with the same general information, stats, bullet points, blanket statements, right? A bunch of things bolded, multiple hyperlinks, multiple calls to action. And so if you want to make your messaging more personal, let me give you a couple of real quick tips. Number one, who the messaging comes from, I cannot, and I know we talked about this the last time we did a webinar with the senior survey, but I cannot overemphasize enough how important it is that it comes from a human being Right, it has to say Will Patch in the in the receiver line or Jeremy Tears, not Office of Admissions. It just screams mass message. Students continue to tell us when it says Office of Admissions, and so I, all the data we have seen on Tutor Collegiate Strategy side and additional surveys indicates the admissions counselor, much like we saw when we asked juniors in this survey. Really, that's who they want to communicate with, especially at the start of their process. And then real quick, the language and tone you use are very important that they're conversational and not robotic and transactional. You need to talk with the reader, not at them, and ask direct questions about what they're looking for, what their needs, their fears, their goals, trying to get to know them and understand, let's meet them where they're at, and then just trying to engage them. Not always having those transactional calls to action at the end is another way to really personalize the process. I think a, a big thing there that might help uh, is just remembering that when we talk about personalization, think of it as relevance. You know, it's not just saying, hey, I know what your name is. I know what major you're interested in. Hey, we're, we, we know a lot about you, and this is not our email system sending it, which it probably is. It's about providing the right information at the right time. And when students say they're interested in financial aid and they say they're interested in a specific major, you know, and give them what they need at each stage to help move them through and help guide them, uh, rather than just trying to send out the same generic email to everyone. Segment as much as you can, uh, really try and break it down so that the emails that you're sending to your accounting majors are different than what you're sending to your biology majors. They need different information at different times. Uh, they wanna hear from students in their majors, from professors. They wanna know what that experience is like. And while they do need to know what it's like on campus in general, they want to know what is it like as an accounting major, as a biology major. Um, so that's a that's an important piece to remember that you need to provide that relevant information. It needs to be as hyper specific as possible. Second big insight that we're seeing here: 75% um, of juniors said that they think if they don't send in their test scores to test optional or test blind colleges, that they will be less likely to be admitted, even though those schools are saying right up front you do not need to send them. Um, so that's a major concern. There's an opportunity here to really hammer that home, that when we say we are test optional or we say we are test blind, we mean it, because students are getting a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money on the line to keep kids taking tests, whether that's test prep, whether that's the agencies themselves. Um, we saw when, when we surveyed the independent educational counselors, the majority of them still said that they were encouraging students to take a standardized test, even though they were applying to 
test optional or test blind colleges. So that's that's something that we have to fight. We have to fight back about. And if you say that you're test optional or test blind, right up front, tell students, tell parents, make sure that the college counselors know and school counselors know that you mean it, that we don't need your scores. Uh, we saw here some differences. It was highest for Native Hawaiian and Asian Pacific Islanders at 93% believing they would be disadvantaged. Uh, Asian students then were next at 81%. Um, it was lowest with, with Native students, uh, only 67%. But 67% is still the majority who think that they are disadvantaged if they don't submit test scores. Uh, it was interesting, too, that this correlated uh, along with household income. It increased to the lowest quintile, going from 73% thinking they'd be disadvantaged all the way up to 81% uh, for the highest income quintile. Jeremy, any, any other thoughts there? Yeah, I would add a couple of things. Uh, another piece of data that you won't see on the slide screen here, but that Will and I just were very surprised to see, 96% of juniors told us, I'm going to submit scores to some or all of the colleges when I apply. That's pretty much almost every single student of the 7,100 plus who submitted, you know, responses to our survey. What I continue to see as a big issue with this will, and we saw this with the senior class last year with this test optional movement by so many schools is students are now, and I literally had this conversation with my neighbor whose daughter just chose her college the other week. They don't understand if test scores are not going to be considered, then how are you making admissions decisions, right? We used to talk a lot as colleges about experiential learning. Well, what is experiential learning? right? It's hands-on learning. Well, what does hands-on learning look like? Colleges have done a very poor job of giving actual context that's understandable to students going through this process, and we're running into this again with this notion of test optional. Students want, and again, in the open-ended responses in the survey, literally verbatim, they asked for, please explain to me then what gives me the best chance to get into your school. Is it my GPA? Is it the high school classes I took? Is it an essay? letters of recommendation, the volunteer work I do. And I think colleges have just done a poor job of saying, hey, you don't have to submit test scores. Well, then how are we going to make admissions decisions? And if a student does well on their test, I think in their brain, they're saying, well, that's got to give me a better chance to get into this school. So I'm going to submit my test scores. The third insight we're going to talk about today has to do with just communication preferences. And it's clear at the early stage in the process, phone calls, video chats, not something the large majority of students are interested in. And this correlates with every other piece of data we have seen over the years. It's not something that's new, mainly because at the start of the process, those two types of communication are much scarier to young people going through this process. Getting an email or getting a letter, students tell us, is more of a safe, easy to process interaction for them. Versus if you happen to get them on the phone or they're staring at you through their computer screen or on their cell phone or their iPad, they feel like I have to be on, I have to say the right thing. I it gets them a little nervous. You have to build trust and rapport with a student first before you just dive into phone calls or video chats. And so as you're starting to communicate with juniors, a couple of things I would encourage you to be thinking about. If you're gonna be sending emails and letters back to personalization, how are you going to make them feel personal, right? The language, who they come from, the calls to action, 
you know, as Will talked about, trying to segment things out based on what you hopefully know from the student if they filled out your RFI. But then also asking yourself, okay, every single time we send a message, what is the goal of this message? Because if the goal is just to invite them to come to campus for the 15th time in a row because they haven't signed up, you're not going to get them to open it for the 15th time in a row. What you need to do at that point is take a different approach and say, how do I explain to them the value in coming, for example, to campus? What is going to be the benefit and how is it going to make that student's process easier? So be thinking as you're sending juniors communications this summer about a number of different topics, how are we not only going to get their attention, but keep their attention? And so much of that is through not only the medium you use, again, email and mail being the most accepted outreaches at this point, but just how you say what you say, because you can communicate with them about every week, week and a half is what the data is showing us, right? And some are okay with phone calls later in the process, and some, even if they apply to your school, never ever want a phone call from you throughout this process. The same goes with text messaging. So understanding that students, for the most part, are comfortable with most mediums, but that early in the process right now, it's email, and it's also really quick, one other point, direct mail. They feel like that takes more time and effort to actually put a letter in an envelope and send it to them than it does to send an email. So right or wrong, students also view that as a more personal form of communication, and it feels like you want them a little bit more, or you're serious a little bit more about them as a college or university when you send them a physical piece of mail, especially if it has any personalization in the actual language and tone. Yeah, and when we looked here, we asked about what's an acceptable frequency. Um, surprisingly, a lot of students are okay with sort of these daily. Now, I don't think that they want every single day, but if they get something from you a couple times in a row, that's not, not a problem. We do see a lot of students saying they just don't want phone calls and they don't want the video chats. And I get it. You know, especially if I don't have a relationship, why would I want just a cold call from a college or a student just saying, hey, we're checking in. Hey, we just wanted to tell you about our school. You can do that very easily in an email, in a letter. If you really feel like you want to be in front of a camera uh, and you really think that, hey, that's the best way that I can talk to someone, think about doing it as just sending a video file. You know, whether that's a private YouTube video, whether that's using one of the many services out there to do that. You know, there's other ways that you can send a video and talk to them and help build that sort of rapport if you think that's really important. Go ahead, test it but don't make that a primary part of the strategy for just general inquiries and outreach. Uh, you know, that's something that you really want to focus on. Maybe, maybe after you've built a relationship with the student, then ask, hey, would you like to have a call sometime so we can talk through some of this in real time? You know, you can do that with text too, but you know, maybe it's just easier to do a voice chat, to do a video chat. Um, but don't do that as your primary outreach. Yeah, and I would add one more thing, Will. When it comes to phone calls, and it's funny, I just finished up doing, you know, my first in-person workshop on a campus in 14 months uh, earlier this week. And the question I posed to the admission staff, like I do in most trainings, is put up your hand if you hate making phone calls. And as you might imagine, literally every single person but one in the room, including the director's hand, went up. She didn't even enjoy making phone calls. But here's what the data also says. While the data says that a large majority all right, are okay with phone calls at some point in the process. It's how phone calls are being utilized by colleges. 
Will referenced cold calling earlier. If you're cold call, nobody likes that. And students say, even if I happen to pick up the phone, now you just caught me off guard. I don't know why you're calling. I feel unprepared and I feel dumb. Why don't you tell me first what you want to talk about and let's set up a time to call. That's what students are comfortable with if they want to talk to you on the phone. And then the part B of that real quick is it has to be something important. You should never be checking in in any medium when you communicate with students, right? Maybe text messaging, but even still, there needs to be more intentionality whenever you send any sort of message. But phone calls especially should only be used for important conversations like financial aid, you know, scholarship type things. If you're gonna check in, as Will said earlier, you can worst case use an email or a text message to do that. But I would always encourage you, you should never be checking in there should always be intentionality with any outreach because students are getting inundated by so many colleges who are doing the exact opposite of that. And it becomes very frustrating and overwhelming very fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you just check in and say, Hey, want to see how senior year is going. Hey, want to see if you have any questions, you're wasting the counselor's time. You're wasting the student's time. Fourth insight here. You know, when it comes down to asking students how they want to consume virtual content, you know, whether that's a virtual event, you know, Q&A, things like that, 38% said that they wanted to participate in a live event. Another 44% want a combination of live and pre-recorded content. So sort of an environment where they can sort of a, a make your own uh, visit sort of thing where you have some live, they can attend sessions, things like that. Uh, you know, in terms of the length then, you know, they want shorter events. 60% said that they want 45 minutes or less. Uh, so that's something you need to keep things short and poppy. Um, there was one person that I spoke to who was saying, well, we're not getting a ton of attendance. Our one-hour events, we're not seeing a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, return on investment for those. Maybe we should do two hours so we can pack even more in. I'd say that is way the wrong direction. Have shorter, more focused events. Maybe it's just a admissions event for College of Business students. Maybe it's a financial aid event uh, for students from a certain area. You know, think about how do we really segment this down and again, make it very relevant. Uh, I think you have to think of your virtual events as an ecosystem. It's not just this one event here or there. How do they all work together? And how can we use the recordings from past events to help supplement what we're doing? So this is a great one. Jeremy was talking about how students really want to better understand how their application is going to be evaluated now. Well, a great way to do that is holding these live virtual events. And then you can take that, and then it's a pre-recorded piece of content that you can share with parents, with counselors, with students, so that they understand what that process is, and that's going to live on. 63% uh, of students did say that they attended a virtual event, so they are actually going to these things. Uh, and of that, 80% said it was a positive experience. So, you know, it's not like students aren't attending. And it's not like they're going and having a bad time. They are going and they are having good experiences. Let's make it better. Let's make it more meaningful. Uh, we also asked when they want to attend. Weekends was very overwhelmingly the response. Uh, they don't want the weekday evenings as much. Uh, weekday, weekend afternoons are, are big for them. Uh, we also saw that 92% of students say they do want to ask questions and engage during the event. Uh, so it's not that they just want to sit there quietly and stare at their phone or their screen. Uh, but we asked, how do you want to ask questions? Only 8% said that they'd be comfortable doing it on camera or audio. 
another 67% said they'd be comfortable doing it in chat. You know, there's a lot of students who just don't want that type of environment where they have to put themselves out there. Uh, so think about how do we do follow-up? Uh, when we asked about that, overwhelmingly, the ones who wanted follow-up, they want it to be via email and with a counselor. They're much less interested in phone or video chat follow-ups, much less interested in a student following up. They want to talk to their counselor with any questions specifically. So that's where you can schedule something, uh, you know, maybe a day after the event, maybe a few hours after. What's our follow-up? How do we reach back out? You know, send an email and say, hey, I just want to see uh, what, what questions you had coming out of that. We talked about X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, I know you're interested in uh, our, our art program. Uh, we didn't specifically hit on that in this event, but here's some additional information that relates to that. You know, how do you build value around these things? Jeremy, what, what do you think here? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you hit on a couple of really important things there, Will, uh, first of which was segmentation. You know, we talk a lot about this, not just for virtual events, but as, as all of you listening, start to think about how you're going to balance your virtual events and content with in-person stuff. I'm sure you're, many of you are already doing that now. I really, really, really encourage you to think about segmentation. And it may seem like it's going to take more work at the end of the day if I, wait a sec, I'm only doing this event for juniors or I'm only doing this event for seniors who haven't applied or you know, seniors who are first generation or a specific, like Will said, uh, academic major or discipline. At the end of the day, that approach will make the event feel a lot more personal than having a bunch of different people, whether it's on, again, virtually and online or in person, all in the same event, who are all at different spots in this college search process and all have different wants, needs, things they wanna talk about, things they care about, things they need help with. So I think that's the first thing. The open comments in our survey were really eye-opening around virtual versus in-person uh, to the point where a couple of students literally responded and said, you can try all you want, but like staring at a screen instead of actually physically being in front of somebody and listening to them, it just does not give me a good feel for if I could fit in a, on a particular campus or I feel comfortable being around. So you have to remember that as you're creating virtual content. I think it's understanding, well, what are they looking for, right? What would they wanna see online? And I know we're gonna talk you know, about social media here in a little bit, but so much of what they wanna see as we discussed with the senior survey last fall, they wanna hear from current students, right? And they wanna see, as you can see on the screen here, stuff about not only the major academic area that they're interested in, but We've also seen through other surveys we've done at TCS, they're interested in knowing what kind of careers and what's the career path look like if I wanna be you know, a biology major or I wanna do, like show me some students who are going through that now or who graduated recently, walk me through what that process looks like. Having that type of content as standalone content or even those people speaking live or in person on your virtual event or an actual in-campus visit, those things would be interesting to prospective students. Financial aid is another one. I don't think it surprises anybody. That's one of the biggest things they wanna know about, right? Mm -hmm. But financial aid is also the hardest, most confusing part of this process. Families and students have made that clear for years. So how are you dumbing it down, for lack of a better phrase, and getting on a 101 level and not trying to jam in a 30-minute financial aid conversation every single term and buzzword that higher ed uses 
knowing that that's only going to confuse them. Let's just talk about, do you have a plan to pay for college as a family yet? Because that's step one in most cases. You can talk about the FAFSA, you can have, has that family or has that student, if it's all on their own and the family's not gonna be involved in this process, have they sat down and actually come up with a plan to pay for college? Because most families continue to pay for college in one of a couple ways, right? The parents pay everything, the student pays everything, there's some type of split between the student and parents or family. And then the fourth, what I call bucket, and this will be a very common one is, we don't understand any of this, this whole process is confusing, help us please. They're thinking and have one of those mindsets right there. And when you know that, that allows you then to again, personalize conversations that you have, especially if you know most people in the room or most people on your virtual event are all in the same spot and feeling the same way. So just things to be thinking about and understanding that live content and virtual events are never going away. So how are you going to balance how you're sharing content virtually and what you're putting on your website and what you're also offering, obviously, for your in-campus, excuse me, on-campus in-person events? Mm -hmm. I think one interesting point here, too, is we heard from seniors saying they wanted panels. They wanted these live Q&As. When we asked juniors, very clear split here. They're much less sure that that's what they want. Uh, you know, they're more comfortable with the general information. So that's, you know, if you want if you want something to say, hey, we need unique uh, junior events and senior events and sophomore freshman events, here's a slide for you right there to take back and, and use as a proof point. Jeremy, what do you think of here of our last one? I mean, I love this one too. Again, it's very consistent, Will, with everything we saw when we did our senior partner survey together last year and just everything I've seen for years in the work I do with colleges and universities and even talking, you know, with other companies who do a lot of focus group research like, like you know, TCS does. On social media, it's important to understand a couple of things. Where are the eyes and the attention of your target demographic, because I promise if you recruit transfers or you recruit adult population, it's completely different in terms of how they use social media. And any of you who are listening who work with those populations, I can tell you the large majority don't use social media in those two demographics at all to help them with their transfer search or to go figure out where they're gonna do their MBA. But back to juniors and back to high school students, what they wanna see, all right, is important, but I think we need to start with where they are. And it's quite clear if you look at the data from this survey, and then you go to any of the other big companies out there that do focus group research on students and their social media preferences at the high school age level, Instagram and YouTube are far and away the top two, not only platforms that students just use daily, juniors, seniors, even sophomores and freshmen in high school, but when it comes to actually trying to all right, am I gonna actually go and look at some of these colleges pages to help me with my search or to help me figure out whether I wanna apply or to help me figure out if this is the right school for me now that I've been admitted? It's very clear that they go to Instagram before they go to any other platform. YouTube was second, Facebook's a close third, but Instagram far and away is the number one place if they're gonna to go to your school specific page to look for things, that's where they're going. So if you haven't audited your school's Instagram page, and I'm sure you have multiple ones, but especially your admissions page or your institutional page, I encourage you to do that soon. And at the end of the day, when you're trying to come up with content, 
the best thing I can encourage you to do is don't overthink it. Students have made it clear what they want to see on social media. We see this in open-ended responses all the time. Show me what it's like to be a student on your campus, but don't show me in the voice of the admissions counselor. Don't show me in the voice of the professor. Don't show me in the voice of the alum. Show me from the current student who is living this right now. Get them to talk to me about what a day looks like. Get them to talk to me about what that first week of classes was like, that final, where they go hang out off campus, the fun events they went to, the traditions they've done this year as a part of you know, the student body. Any of that type stuff that can showcase different things that make your school what I would call different, unique, or better, so that the prospective student watching it can go, well, that looks like fun. That's exactly what I'd like to do. Or you know what? It seems like these people are real passionate about the community service work they do. And I didn't realize this school, wow, their students did like 13,000 combined hours of community service last year. And here's a really cool video showing some of the things they did. Wow, I'm passionate about community service too. That type of content on social would be super helpful to them. In addition to, as Will's got on the screen here, anything that talks about the classroom and academic environment, and anything, again, that shows them what it would be like to be a student on your campus on a day-to-day -day basis. Will, what do you have, Dad? Yeah, I think that's the big thing here is don't just post pictures of posters and event reminders and the, the uh, polished marketing photo shoots. You know, it doesn't have to be the highest quality. It has to be the most relevant. It has to be something that a student can see themselves in. They want to be able to picture themselves on campus and these polished pictures of a building or the, the, the photos that could just be a stock photo for all you know, because they look that staged are not what they want to see. They want to see the authentic. What's interesting, especially at this point, arts is more important than athletics. And we saw this in terms of what factors they're interested in. For athletes, athletics are very important, but a lot of schools really lean very heavily into athletics throughout their view books and other materials when there's going to be, and we've seen this slowly increasing, more interest in the arts. They want to see what it's like to uh, be a part of the choir. They want to see what it's like to uh, attend uh, a play, things like that. So don't forget about that because you're, you might not be reaching the same students with both pieces of content, uh, but if you can reach new students or students in a different way, that's going to be extremely important. Uh, as Jeremy mentioned here, when we asked about what social media they use, it's also interesting to ask, where do you engage with colleges? Uh, and, you know, overwhelmingly here, YouTube, almost 100% of students say they use YouTube, but only about 60% are going for um, college engagement. When they, the, the place they're most likely to engage with your institutional information is Instagram. I know TikTok is the shiny new object, and that's where everyone feels like they need to be. Um, you know, in terms of where students are, that's the third most, li most likely place they will engage with your content. So that is, you know, getting to be a much better investment for you than a Snapchat um, or, or Twitter. Facebook, we, less than 20% of students say they want to engage with colleges there. There's no point for you having a college Facebook for recruiting. That's not what's there for. If you want to talk to parents, if you want to engage alumni, sure. But if you want to have a class of whatever group on Facebook, it's not what the students are interested in. Um, Reddit can be great for some study of, of you know, how, what are students talking about, 
How are they talking about our, our school? That's important for social listening. But in terms of, you know, students actually engaging with your institutional content there, you know, trying to use it as a marketing channel, that's not what they're on Reddit for. We have one quick poll here. So as you get questions in, feel free to drop those into the chat box and Kara will, will help uh, moderate those. We have a, a poll here. I'm just curious how 2022 recruitment's looking. You know, are you seeing increases uh, in, in your inquiries? Are you pacing pretty normally? Uh, are you down a little so far uh, from where you would expect to be? Or are you still so focused on 2021? You know, I don't even want to think about it at this point. Let's just shove that to the side. Let's worry about this class right now and uh, we'll get there eventually. We'll give this a couple seconds. We'll, we'll share the results of this in the follow-up email on Monday. So everyone will have sort of this, this uh, feedback. Okay, so we'll share that out on Monday. You'll get to see all the results of that. I want to thank everyone for joining. Here's our contact information. Now Kira will uh, kind of moderate our questions. I, I hear that we've had several coming in and we'll get rolling. Yeah, so we've had quite a few questions come in the chat. Um, a few people also submitted questions upon registering, so I'm gonna go ahead and address those and then we'll tackle these questions in the chat. So first question, um, as you survey students, are you also surveying parents? Um, this person is specifically curious as to whether answers are different regarding school visits, college search processes, et cetera. Yeah, so we, we surveyed parents and, and the results of that uh, came out back in January, I believe. Um, so we asked about what their college search process was like. Uh, for parents, they placed more of an emphasis on a visit, um, which makes sense because this junior class hasn't got to take a lot of visits. And so if they haven't been on campuses, they can't place as much emphasis there. They don't know how important it is. Um, in terms of what types of institutions they're looking at, there are some small differences. Um, you know, when we asked about two-year schools, 20% uh, of parents said that they considered them, well, 18% of juniors. Uh, when we ask about uh, the public four years, 78% uh, of parents said they considered it, and 93% of juniors did. Uh, we asked about private four years, 54% of parents considered with 69% of students of these juniors. Uh, For-profits is where we actually saw a huge split. 4% um, of parents said that they would consider a for-profit school for their child. 17% of juniors said they would consider. Uh, so that was that was a huge spike uh, for this junior class. And I would add one thing real quick, Will, about parents. Uh, we have also seen doing some additional research uh, with tutor collegiate strategies. Parents are a huge driver. Will talked about campus visits. Parents are a huge driver of campus visits, especially at the sophomore and junior stage, namely because they're the transportation, right? How is that student going to get to campus? But this is why engaging with parents whenever possible, and I know that colleges have challenges capturing parent data and clean contact information prior, for example, to application stage. And anybody who wants to get ideas around that, you're welcome to throw me an email if you're looking to gather more parent information early, and I'll give you a couple tips on things I've seen work. But ultimately, if you can communicate earlier with parents, they will also be a big driver and influencer in terms of getting the entire family and that student to visit campus. Yeah, and I think one one thing that we shared back with the with the parent survey, 
you know, when you say, oh, we don't have parent contact, we don't know how to reach the parents, you know where the student lives. So you can send a postcard and just have an opt-in there for parents. You can reach out to the student and say, hey, are you tired of your parents asking about your college search? You know, here's how they can get in touch with us. Just need their email address and, and X, Y, and Z information so that we can reach out to them. Uh, you know, there's lots of ways you can do it if you want to. So have you noticed a change in the type of institutions that students are considering? Yeah, so I actually looked back at, at some of our prior senior uh, surveys. Um, with two-year schools in 2020, it was 25% considering a two-year. Uh, we're currently running a senior survey. Uh, we do our big white paper every fall. So it's not complete data yet, but I'll give you a, a little sneak preview here. Uh, there's about 13,000 responses so far. 27% um, of this year's senior class said that they considered um, a two-year uh, with 18% of juniors. So we can look at that a couple different ways. Either there's a declining interest or the students who are considering two-year schools are more likely to start their college search uh, during their senior year. So there's a couple of routes you can go there. Uh, with four-year publics, it's been steadily increasing, 84% in 2020, 88% so far of the class of 2021, 93% for this junior class we're considering four-year publics. We've also seen similar increases with four-year privates, 51% in 2020, 60% so far in 21, 69% in 2022. For profits is where we saw this huge spike. 2% in 2020, 4% for the class of 2021 so far. Class of 2022, the juniors, as we just mentioned, 17% uh, said they would consider a for profit. So with the first insight, we talked a lot about email outreach and personalizing email outreach. Um, what's your opinion regarding mixing up the sender of an email between a specific admission counselor and the more general office of admissions for different types of emails like event invitations or visit invitations? Like, is there a, a, is there a, a, a time when it's appropriate to just have it sent from the office of admissions? Mm -hmm. Perfect one for you, Jeremy. Absolutely. No, and, and we've seen this, you know, play out with so many different clients. So here's what I can tell you. When you consistently establish the admissions counselor as a student or family's go-to person, the moment they come into your system, the moment you buy their name, the moment they, uh, you know, apply as a stealth app, whenever they come into your system, and you consistently have one person do a large majority of the communicating, if you're communicating in the right tone and language, it doesn't matter if you're talking about financial aid, visits, anything, you're much more likely to get action and engagement. So going back then to the question that was asked here, is it wrong to send a postcard or send an email from the Office of Admissions around an event? No, but I can promise you that students tell us, if I get, if Will Patch is my admissions counselor and I get an email from Will that doesn't just list out, hey, here are the next four events, you know, here are the bullet points of, you know, what we're going to do and, you know, come join us, sign up now and here's the link. Versus I get, hey, Jeremy, I know that when students go through this process, a lot of times they struggle to figure out why should I go visit this school versus this school versus this school? And is a campus visit really that important? And you can explain to them, we know, and I'm telling you all, I have data around this, that the feel of campus is one of, if not the biggest things that impacts every student when they make their college decision. So I encourage you not only to think about coming here, but any other school you're seriously interested in, that's why visiting campus is so important 
I'd love to know, have you started taking campus visits yet? And now Will's trying to engage me versus just giving that information. You're much more likely to get a conversation going and have that student consider signing up for that event, virtually or in person, versus sending it from a general office of admissions account. Because quite honestly, what's the value in sending it from an office of admissions account over sending it from an actual human being, aka the admissions counselor? And that's what I'm never able to get an answer around. There is no, well, that's a benefit if you do that versus that. So our next question is also around email personalization. Um, what is the best way to approach personalization when you're a large school, you're reaching out to tens of thousands of prospective students, and you also offer um, a lot of majors? Yeah. Segment as much as possible. You know, by major, by area, however you can do it, start off with what's manageable. Uh, you know, typically the bigger the school, the, the more resources you have, you have more people uh, who can help with the email writing. That's not true everywhere. But if you're a one-person office, let's say, regardless of whether you're reaching out to 100,000 or 5,000 students, start off with just some simple segmentation, whether that's, hey, we're going to send an email to, we're going to have a different comm flow for students who have visited versus haven't, local students versus far away, in-state versus out-of-state. You know, these separate it by major, separate it by clusters of majors. Start with what you can do and just continually optimize. So if you have it segmented initially by major or by college, let's say, okay, six months down the road, you've studied it, you've seen what's working. Okay, let's start separating those out into majors. Let's start separating it out into uh, local versus, you know, the students who are going to have a harder time getting to campus. Let's just keep segmenting, keep making it more relevant rather than just do it once a year uh, where we go through and review all of our comm flows, modify and optimize constantly. And like, for example, I'll give you another example you could do in addition, because we'll hit on perfectly with segmentation. Couldn't agree more with that, that statement. If, you, for example, you're listening to this and you're a common app school, take all of your common app inquiries or students that have added you to their list on the common app and send them a completely separate message, recognizing you know they added you on the common app versus, you know, again, they filled out your RFI form. Any sort of segmentation, as Will said, is super helpful. And then even if you send, for example, 100,000 students the exact same message, right, which is gonna happen at various points, how are you going to measure whether that message was effective? Because if all you're looking at is open rates, you're fooling yourself most times. Open rates can be skewed a bunch of different ways. And just because somebody opens something doesn't mean it makes an impact, right? That's why, for example, I talked about earlier having non-transactional calls to action. And for anybody, let me define that real quick. Ask them how they feel about what you just shared. Is it important to them? Do they care about that? Is that something they wanna know more about? Those things then allow you to know if that student's willing to write me back or text me back and give me some sort of feedback, that's another measure of demonstrated interest. And that allows me to then know as an admissions counselor, when I go to do some follow-up with different groups of these segmented students that Will mentioned, I've got all of these different measures of actions they've taken. They've visited campus, they're a legacy student, you know, they're a student athlete, they're whatever it is. And now I know how to prioritize my time better because I know who's taken more interest and done more things versus, well, I sent to 100,000 people. And if all I'm doing is looking at open rates, 
I, I guess they opened, so I must just keep sending it. That's not a good strategy. You have to really take your data and you have to break it down, as Will said, and really try to segment your communications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something you can just, if you do it continually and constantly optimize, you know, every few weeks, every month, it, it gets to be much easier to manage than once a year trying to write 500 emails because that's extremely overwhelming, right? Okay, we still have a few more questions. Um, I do just want to acknowledge that we are at, on, at time, um, but we're going to keep with these questions and this recording will be available. So if you have to leave, um, you can come back and listen to any of the questions you missed. So, we won't um, be too offended if you have to leave. Um, so we talked about phone calls and how students aren't usually thrilled about phone calls from colleges. Um, but what do you think about getting calling students when they're admitted to your college? Yep. I can tell you, I know schools this year that have hard data from last year's class who were freshmen this year. So the senior class we surveyed last year, as well as the senior class that literally just is finishing up high school this year, that says in some cases north of 70% of the students that they ultimately matriculated who were admitted students had one or more phone calls or video chats with their admissions counselor during the cycle. I think there's this big misnomer out there that phone calls, nobody wants phone calls anymore. I can tell you because I have additional data and we've been surveying for seven years asking about frequency of communications and one of the options is never that we offer students to choose. 31% of students have continued to tell us, I never wanted a phone call from any school, even schools I applied to when I was going through my search. Well, that tells you that almost 70% are okay with it. What they're not okay with, as Will mentioned earlier and we talked about, is cold random calls with no purpose, or I'm just checking in. It's hard enough and scary enough for them to talk to you because as crazy as it sounds, most of these students going through this process think you control their destiny. And that they say the wrong thing, there's some little checklist they can't see where you go, oh, Will, nope, less likely to admit him. And phone calls are a little bit harder to not feel like you're put on the spot now to do some of the talking if you're in that student's shoes. So it's about having a purpose to a call and about understanding if I'm doing phone calls right, it's having a quick back and forth conversation about whatever it is that you told this student you need to talk with them about, getting their feedback, answering any questions if they have any after you get through whatever the talking points were, and then just ending the call. Most of your phone calls, if you're doing it right, I know admissions counselors that are having success, five, six, seven minute phone calls, that's it. So just be asking yourself, how are we doing phone calls? Because a lot of the problem right now with phone calls and students' receptiveness is, you're not doing it the way they want and they feel like they're caught off guard and they don't like when you just call to check in because they don't know what they're supposed to say. So do it with more intentionality because students also tell us a phone call when it's done correctly is the most personal form of any kind of reach out you can do more than a text, an email, a postcard, a letter when it's done correctly because they can hear your voice and tone. And if you're on video chat, obviously they can see you. Yeah. And I think that the big thing there is once you have that relationship too, you know, once they've applied, once they've accepted, uh, I don't know about everyone out there, I have my my Pixel here that has phone screening on it automatically. I If I don't recognize the number, if it's not someone I know, I'm just pushing it to the screen. 
I'm not going to just answer a random number. So making sure that you have a caller ID set up on, on your outgoing lines that says, you know, hey, this is Jeremy from Tears University. Okay, I'm more likely to answer that if I've applied, if I've already talked to Jeremy. If I've been accepted, you know, there's some relationship there. If, I've, if I'm a prospect, I've never heard of Tears University and I get a phone call from them, I'm, I'm much less likely to answer. Uh, so making sure that there's been some contact, um, you know, and, and just asking students too, what's your preference? Because there, there definitely are students who prefer phone calls. So just remember, this isn't a, just because most students don't want them, nobody wants them. So when you have, when you have that opportunity, ask students what their preference is. And you may have some students that say, yeah, most of the time it's probably best to call me uh, because I don't always see the text messages right away or I don't check my email very often. So if it's something important, please call me. Okay, you have that data point now. You know that's a kid to prioritize a call to. So we talked some about Instagram. Um, do students want an admission-specific Instagram page for the colleges they're interested in? Or should colleges just be using their school's main page to also post content that would be interesting to prospective students? Main page. I mean, honestly, these, when you get into the admission-specific Instagram, Twitter, whatever, they're either reposting the main account's content or it's posters or it's, it's just not as relevant information. If I want to learn what it's like to be a student at, um, at Tears University, why would I want to go to this little segmented page when I can see what all of campus is like? Um, that's, that's where they're more likely to go anyway. And I'll even go one step further. While I agree with Will, I think you need to worry less if you're listening to this about the page and more about the content you're sharing. Because yeah. I'm telling you, the content is the problem. The content, if the content is what they want to see, as we talked about earlier, aka student life, what happens on your campus throughout the year, ways that you help you know, new students through orientation, or who's this person on your campus that everybody knows, but this prospective student who's debating you know, because they've been admitted to coming, has no idea who this person is. But now they've seen that, now you've story, you know, done storytelling and told a story about them that that prospective student can relate to. We're all emotional human beings and if you're using social media right, it creates connections between current students and prospective students or somebody else on your campus who's featured in a video. Those impact decisions that students make throughout the entire college search process. So what are your thoughts about inviting students for like an in-person chat? Um, is that a good way to reach out to students? You mean inviting them to campus for a visit to have a chat? Yes. Or, or like to grab like, a coffee is in the question. Oh, okay. Too. So like the regional yeah. type things and yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's something you can do. You can say, hey, I'm going to be in, in the area this day. I think there's going to be a lot of people still a little hesitant of that type of thing. Um, but yeah, if, if you're doing like regional meet and greet type events, you know, offer it up. But again, if there's a relationship, I think you're going to get a much better response than reaching out to prospects and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be at this coffee shop. Why don't you come by? If you've never met that person or never heard of the school, that might be a little bit creepy. Uh, so go ahead, do some, do some testing with it, see if it works. But again, I would... And until you have some initial contacts, I think going in person 
and one-on-one -on -one could be a little intimidating and stressful for the student. But what's your thought on that, Jeremy? I couldn't agree more. Uh, you said exactly what I was thinking. You know, the only thing I can tell you that I know, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one environment, not in person, but virtually, that a lot of schools also had success with this year, more so than any other year as I talked with a number of, you know, admissions teams, uh, doing interviews, for example, as part of the application process, a lot of students, you know, who did one-on-one -on -one interviews with their admissions counselor at schools I spoke with, I mean, a lot of those students also ended up matriculating and choosing those schools. But to Will's point, when you get to that stage, for the most part, not every student, but you would have probably had that student already come visit campus or interact in some other way, either with their admissions counselor or somebody else, and hopefully, again, to Will's point, have established at least a little bit of trust or rapport. So absolutely, I think it's something that later in the process, I know tons of regional counselors who you know, live and die by coffee visits. They love them, they're super, but these are again, are admitted students who now have got it down to your school and a couple others, and it's more an in-depth conversation about specific things at late stages in the process that help them with their decision than it is way in the early stage when they're still trying to develop their list, for example, and they don't know you yet. Yeah, it's not the same as a high school visit where you're on their turf and you're they, they feel comfortable there and you know, you're going to the counselor's office, things like that. That's different because that's going there on their terms. So, um, you know, students like to meet up in online communities to make like that that post-admission pre-enrollment connections, you know, and they used to really use like Facebook groups was where um, they would go. You know, Facebook isn't as popular among Gen Z. Do you know where these students are going now um, to make those, yeah, pre-enrollment pre connections? Yeah, I mean, private communities, uh, you can set up that sort of thing. Uh, honestly, there's a number of people having a lot of success with just using Telegram or these services, just the group text messenger uh, groups so that where, where the students can all get together, meet up. Um, I know a lot of school, schools use ZME. We, we, we've we seen small numbers of students say that they're using ZME, so that's something that maybe if it's invite only, they you might get some more uptake on that. Uh, but just these private communities are where you're having a lot of success. Yeah, and for those of you listening, I, I agree, and our friends at Zimi love that Will gave them the shout out. Those are great people over there, and that obviously is more organized within, you know, some context for the college, but as Will said, these, these communities where they're going, if you don't know what Discord is, for example, or you're not familiar with House Party, for example, not the movie, but the app, social media, those are both, you know, again, ways that students can essentially, or anybody, can just get together and do everything from video chat to just do, you know, audio calls or you know voice conversations together and pretty much just hang out and get to know other people that have common interests to them. Okay, so I'm gonna to try to get to a few more questions. Um, have we noticed any large shifts in geographic scope? So are students you know looking to maybe stay closer to home? Um, are they maybe more interested in cities? Like what what trends have you noticed there? Yeah, I've seen a Hello. bunch. Oh, go ahead, Will. Oh, I was just, just going to say that that's actually in, in the white paper. That's a big point. I'll let you kind of run through that. Yeah, what I was going to say, it's very, it's very interesting. I think a lot of students talked when the pandemic started about, well, I'm thinking about staying closer to home. And then yet what we saw with the data at the end of the day was they ended up being more concerned about fit. And if the fit happened to be a school within 30 minutes or an hour, great. But if it meant going three or four hours away, 
at the end of the day, they were okay with it. If it fit, again, their other criteria, right? Whatever their criteria was, whether it was affordability or their major and just other things that the school offered. The data in this current excuse me, junior survey that we just did showed that a lot of students are open. Again, they're concerned about fit more than they are distance, the majority, but they're also, again, open to going three, four hours away. Now, any of you that deal with territories that are, you know, three, four hours away, a plane ride, I really caution you to, in your early conversations with prospective inquiries, prospects, or even students who apply, really drill down on them with some direct intentional questions as to why they're looking at schools. You know, if they're in California, why are they looking at a school in Maine? All right. Or if they're in Washington, why are they looking at a school in Florida? Because if they can't give you a concrete reason, I really want you to pause because that's a red flag. Because I think a lot of students are just ready to move on from high school. And this thought of going away and kind of starting and being independent. Well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then they go through this process and realize, you know what, at the end of the day, yes, fit is important. And if fit means four hours away or a plane ride away, fine. But I think a lot of students, again, if push comes to shove and everything's equal at the end of the day, the school that's closer to home is probably going to win a large majority of the time. We see that all the time. And so I just encourage any of you, while I think students are definitely open to it right now, especially these rising seniors, really drill down and ask them why they're looking at, you know, a school as far away as you or what they think, you know, your school offers that other schools that are kind of like you that are closer to home can't provide them with. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I think so when we were talking to the senior class, you know, when we asked about about where they wanted to go, more students said they wanted to stay closer to home than to go four plus, well, three plus, two plus. I forget what the, the wording was on that. They want to go further away. And this junior class, it shifted. I think there's two things there. It, it's just that rubber band snap. I've been inside my house now for a year. I want to get as far away as possible. I love my parents still, but I got to get away. And then, too, you, you always have, you know, I think sophomores, juniors are, are probably more likely to say, oh, I want to go to Southern California. I want to go to Florida. I want to go to Hawaii. That sounds great for college. And when it gets right down to the logistics of it and being, you know, oh, I'm a six-hour plane ride from home or, you know, you know how am I going to work getting moved in and I won't be near any family. I think the logistics of it kick in and not as many who initially said I want to get far away will actually wind up going further away. But it's going to be really interesting this year that we can go back to that two-pronged strategy of own your backyard, but also you can go back to really recruiting kids from far away because they're more open to it again. So it looks like we have time for one more question, and I think this is a good one to end on. So what are the best ways to implement these more modern strategies that we've talked about, you know, like social media, um, text? Um, when the majority of your team and your administration is more accustomed to more traditional methods of communication, such as calling and email. Jeremy, you want to kick it off? I think at the end of the day, it's really evaluating the data that you have, which for a lot of people listening today, you know, might be a challenge because I know there are a lot of schools out there who are working with very wonky CRMs, or some, believe it or not, still working without CRMs and mm -hmm. sending things through constant contact and other mediums. It's understanding how to use data at the end of the day and being able to take data and say, okay, 
what are we when it comes to prioritizing our time, right? Because that's what this is all about. Everybody listening to this, you deal, whether you're a small private or a huge state flagship with so much volume every year, you can't get to every student. It's physically impossible. The question is, can you take a lot of these strategies and really, as we talked a lot about segmentation, personalization, and other things today, make sure that you're getting in front of the right students. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's much easier when you can get them to raise their hand, right? Or you can identify, oh, I know this person's interested in this, and they like this, and they want to do this, and they want a school that looks like. And now you can, again, personalize your messaging more, and you can understand that person needs to be higher up if I'm their admissions counselor on my priority list than somebody who we've sent all these messages to and hasn't raised their hand. Or they're from a high school that we've never visited before this year and never gotten an application from versus this other student is from a school that every year we matriculate, right, three, four, seven, nine students. It's understanding how to take data if you've got it, right, as a way to not just then start figuring out how you're gonna do outreach, but continually taking that data, refreshing it throughout the year as a way to prioritize your time. Otherwise, you'll just get swallowed up in trying to communicate with everybody. And unfortunately, I see a lot of schools when they do that, it lacks personalization for the masses because they're just trying to get through and send out all these emails and they don't have time to really drill down or they're not doing it in a way to, again, get those students to raise their hand and identify what they wanna know more about or that was really helpful that you sent me that. Could you, you know, I would love to talk more about this or this is something I'm more interested in. So all of these strategies we talked about today and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Will, I think the biggest thing I see when I do training workshops that schools and especially counselors struggle with when it comes to implementing it is, if it's something you haven't done, it's hard, right? Because it's new and, oh my God, is it really gonna work? And you debate and you debate. Everything Will and I have shared with you today, it's all based in data. And so I really encourage you to ensure yourself, like we're not guessing. As much as we can, like, I'm not gonna guarantee you all this is gonna work, but I'm not going to steer you and neither is Will wrong because everything we've shared with you today is based on data. And then it's taking the data and saying, okay, how do I apply it? And then what's working? What do I have to tweak based on this group of students versus that group of students? So Will, what do you think? Yeah, I think the big thing there is approach everything with experimentation. If you go in saying, hey, you know, we, we, our strategy right now is to buy 100,000 names of prospects and we send them all a view book. Okay, how much are you spending on that? How many enrollments do you actually get from that? Let's test something out. Let's say, okay, instead, let's try and find some better inquiry sources. Let's shift some of that to digital marketing. Let's shift some of that to a texting platform and see if we get a better return on investment with those. Um, you know, if, if people are hesitant to do that. I can tell you from doing the tests, um, that, that strategy of huge prospect lists and mailing them stuff and sending out a bunch of emails and the pre-filled app that are all the same from everybody and it's just a form letter does not work. I'm not, I don't know anyone who's seeing a good return on investment there. So instead shifting to inquiry models where you're getting students to raise their hand and say, I'm interested, shifting to digital marketing, shifting to these more responsive platforms are going to be a better return on investment. But if there's hesitance, test it. Make sure that it works. Be able to show what does and doesn't work. And if you try something and it doesn't work, you learned. But how do we build off of what we're doing to make it better? So I know we're, we're past here. I'll, I'll send it back to Kira. 
um thank you to everyone for joining us today and we hope to see you at our next webinar.